0: So it might not surprise you that as a priest I'm interested in religious things. So when I accepted a call to servants to come here to Gainesville, I was curious to move to one of the high holy sites in our country and and learn firsthand about the religious rituals that accompany SEC football. One of the regular Uh, Practices of Devotion is weighing the merits of our head coach. Is Billy Napier the one to restore us to our former glories of Tim Tebow and Danny Werfel? If the head coach is not living up to our expectations of an SEC title or a national championship, it won't be too long until we're looking for another. And not to dismiss the importance of Gator football, but in a similar but far more important way, That is the question that John the Baptist was asking in our gospel passage. He was saying, Jesus, are you really the promised one to come to restore all things, or should I look for another? Jesus was not living up to John's expectations, and it was causing John to have a crisis of faith of sorts. In a way, it's perhaps what we might now say that John was deconstructing in some ways. He was trying to make sense of what he had known to be true in light of facts on the ground that just weren't adding up. He was trying to see how it could fit together. Perhaps you know what that's like. In this season of Advent, we take stock of the longings of our heart and the pains of, of the world, and look for the coming of Christ to set all things right. And as we do that, oftentimes we find ourselves asking, Why, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? God, where are you? God might not be living up to our expectations of what seems right. And so today in our gospel passage, Jesus invites us to consider our expectations that we might follow him. Um, more closely. So we're, we're, we're going to address looking at our own expectations. We're going to talk about looking to another and we're going to talk about, in the end, looking to Jesus. So first, looking at our own expectations. If you were to make a list of people who you'd expect to have a crisis of faith of sorts, John the Baptist would probably not be close to the top. He was Jesus' cousin and, uh, and one of the passages, it says that even when he was in the womb in, in, in utero, he leaped at the presence of Jesus. Uh, he told all of his, his followers that Jesus was the son of God, that he was the lamb to come and atone for the sins of the world. So you think like he has it all fi- figured out. But yet, as he sits in Herod's prison, awaiting his ultimate faith, his ultimate fate, he has lots of time to think things over. And he starts to wonder, is this Jesus everything he's cracked up to be? And just as an aside, that shows that just if you have doubts or just if you're trying to figure things out about your faith, that doesn't mean you have weak faith. John obviously had a very strong faith, but he was still trying to work through things. But part of what was leading to that him trying to work through things was he had misplaced expectations that had remained unchallenged. And so John is asking these big questions about Jesus because Jesus isn't living up to the expectations that John had. So what were those expectations that John had of Jesus? Well, I I don't think we can know for sure, but I think if we look at the text and the background of John, we might be able to figure some things out. So earlier in this gospel, Matthew introduced us to, to John. And John's message was he was calling people to repent from their sins. He boldly spoke truth to power, calling out the hypocrisy of his day. In fact, that's what landed him in, in prison. And he did this in an effort to prepare the people for the coming kingdom, for the coming king of God, so they would be ready to meet him. In fact, when talking about this coming king, when talking about this coming Messiah, this is what John said. He said, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." It's this language, it's this imagery of judgment, of setting aside the right and wrong, the good and bad. And so John saw the sin and the wickedness that were plaguing God's people and he was calling them out of that. And so perhaps if that's what John was all about, we can see how in some ways he might have felt a disconnect with the Jesus that he had seen. Jesus' message is also summed up as repent for the kingdom is near, which is almost, it's pretty much the exact same language as what John said. And he did hold people to a very high standard of morality. If you read Matthew 5 to 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. If you know a quote from Jesus, it's probably from there. And it's clear that the way Jesus calls us to live is very demanding and challenging. So he too had that in common with John. John. He also had harsh words for the hypocritical religious leaders of his day. So where is the disconnect? Perhaps it's that Jesus was a a friend to tax collectors and, and sinners. Or perhaps it's because he had this authority to cast out demons and yet he wasn't using that authority and power to cast out the, w- the wicked leaders that Jesus was talking about that John railed against as well. Perhaps things weren't going according to the pace that John the Baptist had wanted. In fact, we see a couple chapters earlier some of this tension between Jesus and John. John's disciples came up to Jesus' disciples and said, Hey, Why do y'all not have to fast? John is making us fast. What's the deal here? Jesus was holding his disciples to a different standard than John. John seemed to have a what seemed perhaps on the outside to be a higher level of, of, of 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 rigor. And so, as John sits in prison, he's trying to make sense of Jesus. Is Jesus being too patient with the wicked? Is Jesus the one that I was hoping for? And perhaps you might find yourself in a similar situation. Perhaps it seems to you that God is far too patient with evil in our, in our world. Perhaps you find yourself asking the questions I mentioned earlier, like, why so long, O oh Lord? God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything about these things that I see that are so obviously wrong? And if, if we have misplaced expectations about God, if we expect him to take sudden action to do things according to our schedule, perhaps we might, like John, might start to think that God is not as good as he seems. And if those expectations persist unchecked, we might find ourselves looking to another we might find ourselves looking to someone else instead of Jesus. That's exactly what John said, he was very candid, he said, should I look for someone else? That's what UF does when its head coach does not deliver winning seasons, they look for a different head coach. And in our own way, that's what we do when we don't trust God. When we're dissatisfied with Jesus, we might look to something else. We might hope in something else to set the world right, We might find our ultimate comfort in the promises of some other person, or thing, or institution. In our day, one of the things that many people look to for that hope is to politics and to government. That's going to be the thing that's going to set things right. That is going to be our hope, so we find our purpose in the cause of a political party. And when we do this, elections take on existential stakes and political opponents become agents of evil. And this is not to say that politics don't matter. Martin Luther King Jr. said that it might be true that the law can't change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. Politics do have an important role to play as we try to get along in our common society with people who disagree on things. There's a reason why we pray for our political leaders each week here at Servants. But while politics are important, they're not all important, so we shouldn't treat them that way. And the psalm we read this morning, Psalm 146, helps us see the folly of looking to government helps us to see the folly of looking to that instead of to God. The the government cannot satisfy our greatest hopes and dreams. Our, Our leaders one day will die, and their reforms in some way will die with them. And even the best of our leaders cannot save us from death. Now, maybe politics aren't your thing, perhaps when you're tempted to not trust Jesus, perhaps when you think God does not have his act together and you want to take things into your own hand, you have a different drug of choice to comfort you, to find hope in. But whatever that might be, our psalm gives us a pattern to follow when we find ourselves looking to someone else instead of to God. The first thing is to consider what we're looking at. What is this thing that we're looking to promising us? What are we expecting from it? And then the second thing is to ask ourselves, okay, how does this thing fail to deliver on that promise? And third, consider how God is far greater than what you are considering instead of him. The psalm talks about how God provides justice for the oppressed, food to the hungry, freedom for the prisoner, and sight to the blind, and he can do it because he made the heavens and the earth. So this morning, as you think about yourself, what are the ways in which you are tempted to look to another? What are the things that it is promising you, and how do they stack up to the promises of God? And so if, if, if we, we do that, if we ask God to help us to search our hearts in that exercise, perhaps we'll find that these other things that we're looking to don't add up. And so we know, okay, we can't look there, but perhaps we haven't addressed in the first place why we didn't want to look t- to God. The misguided expectations that we had that led us to look somewhere else in the first place. And so if, if we don't return to look to Jesus, we'll still find ourselves plagued by futility. And so that's what Jesus did. He said, uh, look at what I've been doing, which is kind of ironic because in verse 2 at the very beginning there, it said, when John had heard about the deeds of Jesus, the very things that Jesus was talking about were among the reasons why John was like, I don't know if you're it, Jesus. And just as an additional aside, like that's another, sometimes people say, if only I saw miracles, if only God did this, then I would for sure believe. But we see here an instance of someone who has seen those things and is like, wait, I don't know. And there are lots of people in Jesus' day who saw those things as well and still did not trust him either. So it's not that if we had a miracle, then all of a sudden everything would be good. But that's an aside, what Jesus says is, look to the things that I am doing. And I think as we do that, we see that in an unexpected way, Jesus was doing what John perhaps was hoping for, but in a fuller way. So perhaps if John's mistaken expectations about Jesus were that he would come to bring judgment and to set things right, to separate the good from the wicked, If that's what John wanted, then as we talked about last week with the Advent candle lighting, God's judgment isn't just to judge things. It's to set things right. It's to bring flourishing and peace. And so John might have longed for judgment... But what he saw from Jesus was something even more than that. He saw Jesus restoring sight to the blind. He saw Jesus raising the dead up to life. He saw Jesus restoring the things that were broken in the first place that made it necessary for judgment to happen. Jesus was doing even more than what John could have hoped for. He just didn't understand it at the time. And so when we are frustrated by God, because he's not living up to our expectations, the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, this is my expectation. I don't see how you're doing this, God. Show me what you are doing. And it's not always going to be easy to see, because Jesus pointed to these miracles that he did, and it might be like, oh, well, it would have been so easy back then. He's making all of the blind people see. But when Jesus came and walked the cities and towns of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, by the time he died, there were still blind people. By the time he died, there were still lame people who could not walk. By the time he died, there were still deaf people who couldn't hear. So even though we saw these signs of this new work of restoration that Jesus was doing, it wasn't perhaps complete, but you could see what he was starting. And so we have to ask ourselves, just like that in our lives, where are the ways in which we see God at work that we haven't been looking for? And how do they speak to ways of what we wanted from God, but perhaps in a fuller or deeper way? And this is not an easy thing. In the passage from Isaiah, it was talking about these beautiful promises of how God will come and make everything right. But in the middle of that, did you catch what it said? It said that we have to strengthen weak hands and make firm feeble needs. Feeble knees. That as people were waiting for God to come, they grew weary. And so this work to see how God is at work, even when we don't expect it, can be hard. That's what James talked about too, about the importance of patience as we wait for the coming day of the Lord. And so what it seems like is like this. So in the Isaiah passage, he talks about a desert scene. And in the desert, there might be occasional wildflowers that pop up here and there. And so it might seem like we're walking through the desert But occasionally, we can see a wildflower, a sign of life and beauty, in a place and season of desolation. And we know that God has not given up on us. We know that He is is working. And we know that because He went through all of the trouble of coming down and experiencing the same pain and longings that we ourselves feel right now, we can best believe he's not going to leave the job halfway done, that he is going to come back and set everything right. And the picture that I want to give us for that is the thing that we're hoping for, the thing that we're looking for as we see these little hints of wildflowers in the desert is this idea of a super bloom. I'm not big into ecology or botany. I can't tell you how it works, but it's this thing that in the desert, when the circumstances are right, when there's enough rain, there are seeds that have already been in the ground that whole time, that once they get enough rain, the whole landscape explodes in color and beauty as this place that seemed to be a place of desolation springs to life. And that is what we're hoping for. That is what we're looking for. That is what Jesus will come to do. We have no guarantee that Billy Napier will make the gators great again. But we do know that God will not abandon us to walk in the desert forever. We do know that even though we might not understand, he is working in our lives. He's bringing seeds up out of the ground and bringing beauty from the ashes. And so may that be our hope as we walk and wait and watch for, for the coming of Christ. Please pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that your ways are not like our ways. Oh, Lord, that... In the Isaiah passage, uh, you, you talked about how um, this restoration that you are doing will be so great that even the people who are fools like me will not be able to go astray. And so, though I want something oftentimes that is far more quick, that is far more sudden, God, we trust that you are doing something greater. And so God, please show us the misguided expectations that we have of you that would lead us to want to walk away from you and turn to another. God, show us how the other things we turn to that aren't you, Lord, show us how they cannot satisfy. God, and we ask that you would strengthen our weak hands and make firm our feeble knees as we look for the day in which you will come back and even the most desolate and deserted parts of our lives and of this world will teem with life and beauty. We thank you for your faithfulness. Amen.